Hi, my name is Salema Mabena Masakela. I'll say it for you one more time. Salema Mabena Masakela. And you are listening to the What Shapes Us podcast. Hello, friends. You are listening to the What Shapes Us podcast. My name is Salema Mabena Masakela, and I am grateful for your ears to listen to this fourth episode of the What Shapes Us podcast. And before I go any further, let's just clear the air. If you are a listener to the show, you're probably you're probably listening right now with your nose a little bit turned up. You probably have your hand on your phone going like, do I even want to continue with him? Or should I just skip to someone else? And I get it. I failed you. I failed, I failed, I failed y'all, and I failed me. So I'm just going to address it right off the bat. When I decided to to start this podcast, it was um, it was early in the in the in the pandemonium of the pandemic when everything strangely felt possible. Yeah, that's how I would describe it. When if I get to live long enough and procreate, or I'm that old guy sitting amongst future generations of younglings, and they say, tell us, old man Masakella, what was it like during the great pandemic of 2020-21? And I'll be like, well, children, at first it was going to go away by the spring, and then it didn't. And um, before things got really, really, really strange, there was a, a period of chill and immense possibility. Yes, yes, I'm sure the history books have told you about the millions who died around the world and how a year into it in America... Half a million people lost their lives. But in those first few months, if you weren't personally affected by the disease, if it hadn't totally ravaged you financially, if it hadn't broken your family apart, there was a period of immense possibility it actually felt like anything was possible. Felt like human beings might have the capability of figuring out how to get along with each other minus greed and idealism. It felt like the human beings felt the world. Like they could feel it, like they could feel the energy a bit more. 
what radiated from the earth and through their bodies. They, it felt like the human beings might even be able to recognize that they're all connected as one. And within that, there felt like an immense amount of individual possibility because the rat race was canceled. Shout out cancel culture. The rat race was canceled for five minutes. But yeah, the rat race was canceled. Whatever system that you had been operating on that you thought was a real thing ceased to exist. And suddenly everyone was like, hey, wait a minute. What have I been doing? Why have I been doing it? What do I want to do? (gasps) Oh my God. You mean I'm allowed to ask myself what it is that I would like to do outside of a boss or an algorithm that I've been dancing to that it turns out doesn't even have any rhythm. Yes, the algorithm has no rhythm. And so everyone decided, hey, let's make our own beats in the midst of this madness. It's a horrible time, but I feel strangely alive. We started working out. Some people decided to get to writing that book or making that art or creating what it is that they had been afraid to. Bread. Some people just said, hey, I've got time on my hands. We're going to make some bread. We're going to make bread and we're going to tell our friends about it on the on the internet because we're so proud of ourselves that we made bread. And we celebrated each other for things like bread and learning new hobbies. And for like five minutes, it felt like, hey, we might learn from this. And for me, I had been talking about doing a podcast forever. Talking, yeah. People would be like, oh, you'd be so great in that medium. You're such a storyteller. Be great. I I hope you do a podcast. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm totally going to do it. I have a name. And I walked around with that name and I said it for almost a year. (laughs) Yeah, what shapes us podcast? It's coming soon. And then I found myself at home constantly for the first time in two decades. Those of you unaware of um, my background, I'm a talker. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a talker. And I find myself, um, for a job, I've been talking on television, storytelling, as a host, correspondent, doing docuseries, a longtime sports commentator, specifically in the action sports space of snowboarding, surfing, skateboarding, um, 
those type things. And uh, I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I make music under my last name backwards. My last name is Masakella, and backwards it's Alakazam, and and that's where I make music. That's where I that's where I make my art. Anyway, the totality of all those things has made it so that I haven't really been home much in the last twenty years, barely at all. And I learned to love it. I really did. In fact, home for me had become the places where I would go to. And I would, it would be a challenge for me to, when I'd be on the road working to figure out how can I ingrain myself in this community? How can I learn more about where I am? Where do they eat? What are they into? What makes this place tick? And inevitably, I'd usually end up making acquaintances, sometimes dear friends that would become family. And so the road be, be comfortably became home. But anyway, that ceased to exist because of uh, the COVID lockdown, and I was at home. And all the things that I used to be able to run from, get on a plane and run from, I suddenly had to deal with and take a good look at myself as I walked past more mirrors more often, figuratively, literally and figuratively speaking. And finally, I was like, you know what? Stop bullshitting, Masakella. Let's make this What Shapes Us podcast thing come to life. And so we did it. We did it. Great team. Got behind me. Incredible design team. My producer. Machete. Ernesto Hurtado. Gave me his all. All these people are like, yo, we're here for you. And I, I, and I went after it. It became, it filled the void and I attacked it and we made some really, really, really great, I think, for, for a person who never danced on this dance floor before, um, we made, we made some, some, some really great stuff, some great conversations happen. And, um, it probably, not even probably. The fact that like in the midst of launching the podcast, in the midst of a pandemic, we found ourselves in the midst of a massive, um, perhaps largest global civil rights movement ever in the wake of Ahmaud Arbery, who somehow or another, as, as of the recording of this introduction to this episode of the What Shapes Us podcast, it was one year ago today, yesterday, that Ahmaud Arbery was killed. Um, and then later George Floyd, um, there was definitely a, uh, a, a real immediate sense of purpose in the conversations and, and what I wanted to get across in this podcast. And it was happening. It was in response. It wasn't really with a lot of thought of like, okay, this is what we have to do. It was like, this is what's happening right now. This is what we're going to talk about. You know, originally this was going to be a space for me to like play and and talk to all of my very interesting friends across music and sports and, and, and art and entrepreneurs and just like dope, cool people that have made a difference in my life. And, 
And then um, suddenly it was like, no, we got to we got to address this stuff and we got to address it. We now like I as a black man in America. I didn't have any choice but to it was uh, there was a catharsis in having these conversations and an opportunity to hope hopefully have um, people listen and learn. I, I was learning in the midst of these conversations as well. And I thought it would be sustainable. I think I made a joke. Um, in the intro of the third episode, I made a joke about how, um, hey, we're three episodes in. So excited you've stayed. And I made a joke about how people talked about uh, you got to get to 10. You, you, you basically, you're not safe until you get to 10 and then it becomes part of who you are. And I was like, <laughs> don't you people know who I am and what I've done? I've been nominated for Emmys. I've traveled around the world and worked at high level productions on the Olympics, the X Games. I host the Red Bull Signature Series. It's taken me all over the world. I've worked in in every condition imaginable. I always show up. I always get it done. That's my reputation. It's why I'm still here. What do you mean get to 10 episodes of a podcast? I can do that in my sleep. Thank you for your concern. And here we are. Maybe six or seven months later. Since... Maybe six months later since I dropped an episode. I failed y'all and I failed myself. And I apologize. I am very, very sorry. I'm sorry because I spent a lot of that time um, arguing with myself about a lot of things that I probably could have probably could have worked through (laughs) selfishly here. Um, I don't know. There's the, the optimism of the initial sort of uh, new, I don't know how to even describe what those first three months were like. I found myself, I can't speak for everyone else because it's, uh, it's probably incredibly, um, patronizing to for people for whom none of this has ever been happy so i apologize um but the optimism that i found myself in was so huge and so refreshing and so like all right we're going to stretch a little bit and figure out what it is that that i want to be doing what what kind of stuff do I want to make as opposed to what I have to do or where I am supposed to go next? It was like someone pressed pause. And I got to move around and look at all the parts as they were like frozen to be like, oh, you're not even that's not even what I thought it was. And that gave me an immense amount of, of positive energy in the beginning. I was doing IG lives and talking to 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 people and communicating a bunch with them and getting to know some of my social media followers. And I don't know, for those first few months, 
I was like, I can't wait till this is over because I'm just going to, I'm coming out like a cannon. I've been recalibrated. I get what life's about. And um, then something happened in the midst of that deep fight. The the backlash um, from people trying to dismiss um, the viability of or even the necessity of this movement, whether or not you want to like label it Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, the, the fact that like America is bathed and baked in uh, in the concussion of colonialism and um, the reverberation that is white supremacy and an inherently you know, racist America. And the, the amount of, uh, the, the manner in which people like really shouted that down and felt justified in doing so. And I don't know. That, that I, I, I was like, no, aren't we all just, no, this is the time we're going to, people are going to get it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it took took some of the wind out of my sails. Where suddenly I was like, "Oh, why are we? Why? I don't even know if I want to be doing this right now." I just it it felt it got difficult just to wake up and just be black in America and still want to be excited about doing stuff about making stuff. I'll I'll level with you. That's the place I got to. And uh, suddenly the ability of feeling like I could do it all and crush it all. Didn't have it anymore. The relentless optimism that I had felt myself in was coming in little spurts, but the fuel tank wasn't really there. And then I think it was after Jacob Blake... Jacob Blake was the gentleman who was shot in the back seven times in the street um, as he was reaching into his car and his kids were inside of the car. That one broke me. I, I, I remember it so well. I just remember being like, fuck. Our lives really do not count for much in this country if every time a black man that is unarmed is killed the rush to justify why that person deserved to die because of the various manners in which that they weren't uh, considered a perfect citizen the manner in which people were just able to, to just justify it away or look the other way. And obviously that's been happening for so, so long. But for some reason, it was like I had this weird Neo in the Matrix moment where I could like see the code. And it was like, oh, most people don't give a fuck. Wow. And... um I don't know. I just 
I stopped coming into my office. I stopped looking at my microphone. I started, honestly, started walking. I started working, doing everything I could to do anything that had to do with work, like as far as uh, laptop is concerned or being on Zoom calls. I did it in my kitchen. I didn't even come in, in here for a couple of months. And I can't explain to you why it hit me so hard and why um why it took so much out of me but it i why i let it take so much out of me but i did i did i let all of it really and and maybe maybe it was just my time to grieve i'm sure all of you that are listening have have had to grieve in some way, shape, or form during this last year because of the various ways in which what we've been in has affected you. The political discord um, broke up friendships, broke up families, family members not even speaking to each other. There are people who I, there are people who I don't speak to anymore as a result of the election. People who I considered really, really close to me. Who I haven't spoken to in six or seven months because they revealed themselves to be intolerant of anything outside of... uh, their perceived definition of what America is supposed to be. And um, everyone else should figure out how to walk in that way or they should leave. I had one friend who said, hey, in the midst of the protests, on July 4th of all days, in the midst of all the protests with George Floyd, etc., someone who I was very, very, very close to, Hey, you know, America's not that bad. And you people that are deciding to spend time complaining on it about it are missing the point. And if you don't like it, you should leave. I, I, I remember the way that hit. I was like, what? You? You? And, and, Where's this coming from? And I was like, oh, I can't deal with this person. I don't have the space to deal with them. And, uh, yeah, I had to, like, protect my space. Had some other incidents with uh, people who I thought that I knew. Revealed themselves to be... uh, far more bigoted than they'd ever let on. And to say things um, that, to say things to make me feel like, or not even make me feel like, they said things that basically were like, but you're a different one. You're a different kind of black guy. And I'm, I can't believe that you're, you're identifying with this, with, with this movement. You're more, you know, 
which is stuff that I've heard since I was a teenager. And I did did things that were uh, not considered black, like surfing and snowboarding and people being like, you know, you're a different kind of black guy. You know, you're more like us. It's cool. And trying to figure out how to how to digest that uh, compliment. But anyway, a couple people who I had decent relationships with, did business with, maybe weren't best friends with people who I dealt with and I was close to, and them being like, oh, I didn't know you were one of those kind. Well, here's where I stand. I'm like, all right, well, I'll be over here. Let me know when you want to have an open-minded conversation, but can't be in that energy. And... uh I just let it all get to me. I let it all, I let it take, did I let it get to me? Did I, did I choose me? I'm not sure. When I say, did I choose me was taking a break from trying to do it all and like do this podcast. Um, Was that the better decision for me? I don't know. I know that I missed it. I know that I thought about this every day. I knew that I know that uh, every day I was just like you, you suck, Mabena. You really, really suck. People would kill for this, for the opportunities that you have. And here you are, like, moping around in a pandemic and civil rights movement and the most contentious election of your lifetime. <laughs> and for some reason, you're choosing to wear all of that shit that instead of, like, Caring for your space. And uh, so I started doing some work on me. Did some meditation, got a coach, which is something, a sentence that I never thought I'd ever say. I got a meditation coach. But this dude came to me uh, in a very genuine manner through a friend and Started working on just sitting down and slowing down and spending quality time with me and uh, letting go of shit that doesn't serve me. And listen, this problem is not solved. When I say this problem, I say it lovingly, like me. I'm never going to solve for me. I'm never going to have it all figured out. And that's actually... That's actually the like the biggest sort of ah relaxation that I have in my life is that knowledge of like yay you know you're ne- I'm ne- I'm never gonna have it all figured out because um, I think if I did ever get to the place where I'm like hey everyone I have it all figured out um that would be a very boring scary time. Then what do you do? Also, it would be complete bullshit. So, I'm still doing work on me. Learning lots. As I uh, dance through into middle age. A guy who's 
from the outside looking in, many would probably say, it's such a, so Peter Panning. Look at him. He's just out here Peter Panning, skating and snowboarding and surfing for the last three plus decades, unmarried, never been married, no kids. What's he even doing? Ah, yes. <laughs> a lot of that is true. I don't know about the Peter Panning part, but yes, that's how I've been living my life in a lot of ways. Um, which is awesome. It's been amazing. I have had the greatest time. I can't even believe that I am still here and I get to do uh, the things that I love and that I'm passionate about. Sorry, by the way, I just went through such a down ride. But like through all of that, it's also like, holy shit, Mabena, have you been here for the last 20 years? This has been amazing. You were standing on the ramp when Tony Hawk did a 900. 1999 in San Francisco. And now look, now look, look at us. Wild. Um, but the moral of the story is I, I had to go through my COVID grief. It hit me in a way that I didn't know it would. And I had to pull over to the side of the road, make some adjustments be appreciative for this vehicle. Except that it doesn't run perfectly always. And um, that you can't always get what you want. But if you try some how's it go? You just might get what you need. Some, something like that chorus is what's taking place for me in the last five six months and i'm excited about the future and i'm excited to be back with y'all and i can make you this humble promise that the what shapes us podcast um is going to be more consistent it's going to be it's going to be consistent that's all i can say i'm not going to over promise so i don't under deliver but all I can say is thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you'll give me a chance, because I have got some great guests lined up, and some incredible people that I want to have conversations with, and some stories to tell you, and I want to I want to hear from y'all and get to know what you would like, and I would like you to feel like this this is your show. I really that's my goal. I want you all to feel like this is your show and this is a place where you come and you're like, yes, he did it. He got me that thing that I I knew or didn't know I needed. But thank you. Thank you for making the delivery, Mr. Host of the What Shapes This Podcast show. Yes, delivery man. That's what I am here. I am I am the delivery man. Anyway, 
this episode of the show, like previous ones, is brought to you by the fine folks at Hume. Hume. Hume Supernatural. A 100% non-toxic deodorant made from prickly pear. That's the essence. Like people are like, what's the quan? What's the essence inside of this amazing non-toxic deodorant called Hume? Prickly pear is the base, and then it just keeps get, getting better from there. We have two SKUs. About to launch a third one. We launched about a year ago, and um, it's been amazing the way people have uh, supported uh, this company. I am not only just a uh, spokesperson. <laughs> I'm one of the founders. I got some skin in the game. Literally, some armpit skin in the game. HumeSupernatural.com Live Supernatural. Take our funk test. 30 days. Test yourself. Test your funk against the power of Hume. We do a 30-day funk test. Funk. You know that funk you know, you know when you smell so shitty that you smell yourself and you're like, damn. Because usually, you know, people can be like, oh my God, you smell them. And you're like, yeah, I'm good. We'll always give ourselves, we'll always give ourselves a little bit of uh, leeway. Benefit of the doubt with their own scent. But then sometimes you're just like, damn, I am ripe. This funk is, this funk is fucked up. So take the Hume Supernatural Funk Test. 30 days. All your money back. We will give you your money back if after 30 days. You're like, this hasn't done shit for my funk. You're like, you're right. I guess we, you know. I guess Hume didn't gel. With, um, with your, with your, with your biological dance. And we respect it. Your money back. Hume Supernatural. The What Shapes This Podcast is also brought to you by our incredible friends at Solento. Solento Organic Tequila. Solento is an award-winning USDA certified organic tequila. And it is beautiful. And essentially it's a type of it's not like Solento's not something you drink to party. It's where it's it's what you sip. When you just want to slow down, chill, and be present. And really feel how lucky you are to be here. Salento Organic Tequila. You can go to SalentoTequila.com to purchase some direct and learn more. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Salento. Those are our sponsors for this episode of this show. This fourth episode of the What Shapes Us podcast. I was trying to remember the, what key the jingle that I came up with like six months ago was in, and I could not. So um, I'm sure right now would be a good time, Machete, to uh, play it. You are listening to. What Shapes Us Podcast. See, I told y'all. It's a nice song. 
we're gonna make it we're gonna make it jingly all right i've talked enough let's get into uh the show my guest on this episode is not only a friend but she's essentially my sister my mother calls her her daughter that she's never had she calls my mother her other mother your mother's my other mother her name is joy bryant Joy Bryant is an actress. She used to be a model. I mean, she still is a model. If you see her, she's she's one of those people who you're like, how can one person be that beautiful? And not just like physically. I mean, physically, she is. Yeah, she's striking. She, there's a essence to Joy to Joy's beauty that like you you can't stop and be like, oh wow, that's like a that's an amazingly incredibly structured human being but like what she beams at you from the inside which is just 100% pure mind maximum realness with a bombastic sense of humor and an addiction to truth an addiction to truth. And you need friends like that. You need friends that are addicted to truth because your friends that are addicted to truth, they're not going to let you bullshit them. They're not going to let you bullshit yourself, actually. That's one of my favorite things about being friends with Joy, Joy Bryant. Um, over the years, we've been friends now for about, I'd say, 17 years. We met in the club. In Los Angeles, back when I used to go out to back back when there were clubs, um, but over the course of that friendship, Joy has been someone who's never let me run from myself, shortchange myself, or um, think that the bullshit that works on everyone else that I get away with uh, is gonna really like work out for me, and sure as fuck ain't gonna work on her, you know. One of those friends who lovingly is there to listen with no judgment and also hold your feet to the fire. Because they know what you're capable of. And they just want to see you win. So they don't... They don't beat you up to put you down. But they occasionally are going to slap you with lovingly so that you'll stand up tall. And and work within your, your your the wholeness of your capabilities while you're here. That's what my friendship with Joy Bryant um, has been. This woman, she's powerful. Raised in the Bronx, you'll you she she tells her story. Um, she's been in you know in in some incredible films. Um. She's on a show on ABC right now called For Life, produced by um, Curtis Jackson. It's 50 cent, 50 cent. Um, she was she was in Get Rich or Die Trying, Bobby. Like, the body of work is incredible. I mean, her performance, if you're a fan of, um, of uh, if you're a fan of This Is Us, 
she was on the OG. This is us parenthood where she, that show was just incredible. And she, that's where that, that was to me where she showed like her range where people were like, Oh, she can do it all. She's so good. She was so good. She played Doc Shepard's um, partner on parenthood. She's a snowboarder. We went surfing together in Fiji. She couldn't even really swim that well. And, Managed to get her into a wave at cloud break that she rode for like 200 yards. I'll never forget. It was like that. It was like obviously a very, very, very small day, but the reef is so perfect uh, there that, you know, we pushed her in on a, um, I think it was like on a stand up paddle. And anyway, she rode that thing. She stood there and rode it for like 200 yards, might be embellishing, at least 100 yards to the point where. She jumped off of her board, not being able to very being able to swim very well, but she was so joyful that somehow she swam. Um, and yeah, it was a, an image that I'll never get in my mind. Anyway, this is um, this is my conversation with an incredibly talented, beautiful human being who tells the story of. It's timely relative to I think how we open the show and where we're at in the world. Um, she just tells her story of, of uh, navigating the challenges of being a little black girl from the Bronx, raised in some amazingly challenging situations, and then finding herself suddenly in a world that um, she normally wouldn't have had access to, but her, her smarts, um, her academic performances were something that couldn't be ignored. And... Um, Anyway, I'm not going to say any more than that. I'm just grateful to her, grateful to Joy for this conversation. And we, we, this, this, this conversation is almost a year and a half old. We recorded this a few months, a few months before lockdown. This was going to be initially the first episode of the, of, uh, the What Shapes Us podcast and then the world changed. But anyway... This is Joy Bryant. Enjoy. Yeah, we are in Joy Bryant's living room right now in Glendale. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting next to your amazing dog, Pipple Bubba. Pip Mix. Pip Mix. Um, I'm looking at your your drums. Yeah. Animal. Animal. My my spirit. Animal, animal. He's hanging off your from drums. the Muppets. Um, um, a banjo a- that I don't know how to play. It's not my banjo. Um, it's supposedly it's Dave's banjo. I've never seen him play it before. <laughs> supposedly, Dave, Pope. and supposedly he has a mandol- That mandolin is his as well. I've never <laughs> seen him play it, but it's okay because it looks really great here. This is Dave Pope, your husband. <laughs> of how many years is it now? Of going on eleven. It's funny because. I was already a fan of yours from afar, like of your work. I just thought like, oh, that girl must be cool. And then I remember when we met, we met in the club. Yeah. Through Greg. We, through through mm-hmm. my, my mutual friend, Greg. And I was like, you know her? He's like, oh, that's the homie. He's oh. like, you guys are going to be like. Oh, he always said that too. He's like, you he's guys, like, you, you guys, guys are going to voice out. You got me a voice out. And then it was like. Oh. And I had not been in L.A. very long. 
So I, I, I had I had only had a hand a handful of real ones because you know how it is when you first move to this town. Oh, yeah, there's different types of people. Ooh. You know, there's um, wrong people and the wronger people. There's wrong people and the wronger people, exactly. <laughs> and then and like then I, there's like some then there's like some really good. Be people. like, oh hey, are you a real human being? Yes. Oh cool. You want to like, be friends? We could be friends. Like let's be friends. Like no matter whether like right. I'm killing it or you're killing it, yeah. like we can be happy for each other. We could be, we'll be good. Like yes. all right, yes, sweet, yes. And then that was it. And now, then, and then, then oh, once right. the shreddy Negro got her shit on, That's it right. was a wrap. Shreddy Negroes ride again. Yeah, you're the, the shreddy Negress. Well, you where know, was the fir- we went snowboarding? We've only gone snowboarding once, dude. One time. And it was like, we, well, wait a minute, but we went surfing. We went to Tavarua together. <laughs> we went surfing. Because we got you. You were in the water when I, when. You got, you got a wave Yaden of cloud break. That, yes. Yaden Nickel pushed you into a easily like 200 yard, perfect three foot wave at cloud break. Mm-hmm. And you rode that thing all the way to the end. Couldn't swim. Nope. But still got like a 200 yard long perf- perfect wave yeah. at cloud break. Yeah. Life changer. That's and that was because we got you on Nixon. Yep. I mean, your man's kind of helped you get on Nixon. Of course you did. Yeah. And then because we got. I get a lot of cool points because we're friends, you know. I was like, <laughs> Chad, my friend Chad at Nixon. I was like, I think we need like. It's really great for my shred cred. We need to like. We need to like you know spice up the the Nixon team lineup like you know Joy Bryan is he's like yeah she's amazing I'm like that's my homegirl <laughs> and then boom and then you're at Nixon next thing you know you're like in ads and stuff shreddy negro shreddy negro shreddy negro shreddy negro shreddy negress um and it was amazing then you, we we did the Nixon trip to Chattanooga and you came and bam Anyway, and we're going to ball face next and we're year. Going, we're going to ball face next year and all of it. And then we're really going to, that's actually going to be like the first time we really ride together. Like ride, ride. Like, yeah. Don't worry. I'm going to be in shape because there's no way I'm fucking going to ball face and I'm not bringing it. So like, don't listen to Dave. No, I'm, gonna have I'm my not shit worried. Together. Listen, you own a place. I just got, I got to get my other shit right right now. You, and now that I'm getting, you know, getting my other business in, in order. Yeah. Um, you own, uh, I'm gonna go back to my tennis lessons and let's just game. I'm gonna I'm gonna break down your uh you are an actress and thespian. <laughs> Not a thespian, I'm just an actress. You're you're <laughs> an actress you're a you're a thespis. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a thespie. You've been acting for um, for now, I guess, where is this, two th- so 17 years, because, I, no, 2001 is when I started working. It's crazy. I was taking acting lessons for about a year, year and a half before that. And before that? I was a model. Right. And before that, I was a Yale dropout. And you before that- You were a dropout from the prestigious school of Yale. Yale, Yale University. And then before that- I was a scholarship kid from the Bronx at this prestigious boarding school in Connecticut. And then before that, I was a poor black child from the Bronx who had a dream that someday she was going to be somebody. 
What what did that dream stem from? Um, in terms of like what the dream, like what I wanted to be, or just where did it, where did it come from? Like, yeah, where did, did I... where did you, the fuel? Um, the fuel came from my grandmother for sure. Um, she she raised me, my mother's mother, and she always from like day one was like. Just because you're a poor black child from the Bronx doesn't mean you can't be anything you want. If you work hard and I mean, obviously there's obstacles in the way, lots mm-hmm. of obstacles. Um, but all you can do is just do the work. And education is going to be your way to get to wherever you want to go. So excellence was expected. Academic excellence was expected of me i mean i guess i had to have some type of smarts to be able to you know handle that but that's and so you know it was things like that and and, and these are things that she said to me i just remember from being really really young like really young um so it was instilled in me from an early age that um like yes we were poor yes we were black yes we lived in a certain area yes um you know many of many people like us don't get a lot of chances and opportunities, but, um, when you, when an opportunity presents itself, you seize it. And I, I was just lucky. I mean, I was smart enough to get the attention of certain programs and things like that, that really helped me to get certain academic, like, um, like I was in this great program, a better chance, which, is there to help kids like me because the group like I did to get a better chance at better education. So opportunity, an opportunity. Um, and, or like the fields and enrichment program, which really helped nurture, um, and supplement my education. That was, that I wasn't receiving in public school in New York, but, um, programs like, um, through a better chance programs, like, um, Fieldston Enrichment Program, um, like we would go to the Fieldston School on weekends and in the summertime, and we would take um, like intensive like math and science and and um, reading classes, and 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 that's where private schools and and schools like that would find their minority talent, their diversity, mm. right? So um, it's almost sort of like a um, not filter, but kind of not screening, but you know what I'm saying? Like you kind of go through, cause like, you know, we were kind of being groomed yeah. to be able to um, go off into alien territory. Um, and when you say go off into alien territory, what do you mean by that? Um, like going off into predominantly um, white, wealthy schools and institutions. And, be able to survive and hopefully thrive in that space when um, you grow up in the predominantly black and Latino um, environment, um, working class, poor, middle class, lower middle class. Um, It's preparing us for that. At least for the academic rigors of that, right? right? Um, <laughs> but nothing prepares you, f- like for this sort of 
culture shock of that until you get there. And so small schools at 350 students, um, Westminster is called the Westminster school, um, in Simsbury, Connecticut. So it's like, it was like 350 students and it was 9% minority all in 9% all in. So all it was in. black. Right. That's not 9% black. That's no. just 9% everything melanation of any yeah. kind. Yeah. And some, uh, it was, um, it was a shock for me, not so much the race side, which is pretty shocking. Um, but more of the, the economic side, because I mean, these kids had money. Most of, I mean, a lot of them came from, I mean, my roommate freshman year, who I'm still friends with freshman my year of high, high school. school. Um, this is a boarding school. Right. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of my high school friends. And I'm still friends with my freshman year, you know, roommate from boarding from high school. From boarding school. Um, she had a credit card. <laughs> she was 13, 14. Well, I was 13 when I went away. So I, because my birthday's in October. So I always start a little bit, you know, yeah. younger than everyone. So she had to be like 14, 15 or something like that. And she had a credit card. I'm like, there's people in my family who don't, like adults who don't have credit cards. Right. So, I mean, just that right there, the fact that like this teenage girl had a credit card. Right. I didn't understand that. That was like the equivalent of owning a house. Basically. Right. Um, you're like, wait, what, huh? Yeah. Like, knowing that on my corridor, there's girls who are ordering, like, hundreds of dollars of J. Crew every month on the regs. Like, because, you know, J. Crew is the shit. I mean, <laughs> in, like, the private school, you know what I'm saying? That, I mean, still, it's kind of cool. But, you know, back then, it was like, so, like. This is, like, this is the 90s, right? This is, this is, this is. 88. 88, like... Because I went 88. there 88 to 92. That's literally like when I got to to Carlsbad. Got to California for the first time. 88. Time to set it straight. Def- you know what I'm saying? Ain't Definitive. no half-stepping. Word. I'm ready. <laughs> Rappers want to... <laughs> they want to get some. <laughs> but I'm the king, so yo, you know the outcome. Um, Spit that. So, yeah. So, it's like... That's the year I learned to surf. Huh? The year 88? 88, first time I learned to surf. Wow. Had in just, Cali. In Cali. Had just gotten to to Carlsbad from the East Coast. I grew up in New York and then and also New England. My mom and stepdad decided they didn't want to be cold anymore. Mm-hmm. And my mom literally was like, I came home from school one day. My stepfather was like, we are. we're moving to Carlsbad, California. I'm like, what? what's a Carlsbad? You know, and you couldn't Google it. So like went to the an encyclopedia panicking. Got like two paragraphs about like <laughs> there was like it was a, a, a town in the north of San Diego. That There's is a, not New York. It's not, <laughs> not New York. It is not the East Coast. It's not New England. Um and yeah. It's a trip. That's all it's crazy. So like So the, same yeah. Same thing though. Same like, thing. But just show up to a chill. high school with like there's there's Two me's in a school of almost two thousand. There's two Ooh, other black kids. One, that's way lower than nine percent. One, yeah, and, <laughs> and and the only other people who were melanated were 
Mexicans mm-hmm. who I'd never seen before because I, you know, growing up in on the East Coast in New York, it's Puerto Rican, Dominican. Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Panamanians. Uh, yeah, all that was like y'all are different kind of Spanish. Aren't you? <laughs> My stepfather was Puerto Rican, right? Um, but yeah. He was like, okay, how do I do this? Culture shock. I mean, it's like, and it, you know, I was very, I mean, I was very lucky that I was able to thrive there. Um, Even though I had some difficulties. Did you feel less? Yes. Um, And yet I still thrived, but I was really battling a lot of things on the inside because I felt I didn't feel inferior because I was black. I felt inferior because I was poor. And it was kind of the first time. I mean, I knew we was poor in New York. I mean, we grew up on welfare. I mean, I know the deal. But you don't really know how poor you are until you up against, until you like with somebody who got a lot of money. You're like, oh, wait, I don't have what. Oh, oh, wow. Like, you're like, I've only seen this shit on silver spoons. Right. Like, this is like some next level. This is real. This is real. So I definitely had like an inferior like a slight inferiority conflict because I felt like these kids are rich so they have to be smarter than me right because like if you're rich you go into I mean you didn't go to school I went to you're going to way better schools you have tutors you have you have access to all these like how could you be dumb or how could you, you know like they have to be smarter than me right so like for the first two years and it was it was definitely it was like it was like it was like Pre this real, real realization and post realization, like pre realization of sort of like what was really going on, it's like I really suffered internally, feeling that and feeling inferior because I didn't have as as much, as much money as these kids. I didn't have the access they had, so like they had to be smarter than me. And even though my grandmother told me, like, always told me, like, you're no better than anybody, and nobody's better than you. I was like, I knew, I, I heard that, but it's like, no. But look how much money they got. They don't have to worry about the rent. Their parents don't have to worry about like keeping the lights on or like turn that heat down. Right. Turn off that heat. Turn, turn off no, my lights. Turn off my lights. Turn off my lights. Turn off my lights. Use God's light. Mm. We're not we not related to Con Edison. <laughs> <laughs> Although I really like hearing it in Spanish. <laughs> like, but that was a real thing. Yeah, like, it was a real turn thing. Turn off my lights. Turn off my lights. And so, and again, and then seeing that there's girls in my corridor. Who I mean, listen. If they have, if their parents let them order a hundred dollars from J Crew, that's not their fault. That's what they grew up with. But like, of like over five hundred, like five hundred dollars. That's like life changing. You know, like that would like she make that's startling, right? That would, but like five hundred dollars to my grandmother would be like, oh, we good. You know, we we got this is this we can work with this, right? Um, is it life changing? It's life sustaining. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I just really it was really hard for me to kind of like untangle my mind from that. But at the same time, I was on honor roll while I was having this battle. Right. While you're in the midst of this like right. identity. Yeah. Like real identity identity battle within yourself. Yeah. I was on honor roll. I was student council. I played sports. I had plenty of friends. People liked me. And. And, and this is like a, you know, and I was like the kid in, in junior high in the Bronx who felt like I just stuck out like a sore thumb. Like I didn't, like, I was a nerd. I didn't, I, I mean, I wasn't bullied, but 
I just felt like I just didn't belong. I didn't know where I belonged. And I was the only child and I wasn't allowed to like hang out. I was just, you know, I spent a lot of time by myself. And so like when I went to boarding school, you know, I did, I, it did definitely did parts of it was sort of like oppressive in the sense of that feeling that I had inside about not being as smart as those kids. Mm. But then the other side was kind of liberating because like I felt, you know, I, it's like I almost reinvented myself when I went to high school. Right. It was like, Oh, I'm cool. You know, like I can, I can compete academically even though I feel like I'm not whatever, but like, you know, friends it's cool you know i kind of like and embracing kind of how i looked i always felt really subconscious and 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 sort of like insecure about how i looked because i was like really skinny and you know it was, mm. that was a different <laughs> like <laughs> it was different love you know about that you know when i went to boarding school like everyone was trying to be skinny so i fit in right right whereas where i grew up it was like you so you're so skinny like yeah. i had like a friend that was like, I mean, my one like best friend in in the Bronx growing up, and she was like, you know, if you weren't cute, you know, no no guys will like you because you're so skinny. I mean, I was like twelve years old. Like, why should I be worrying about <laughs> that? But still, right. And it was like, you know, because you're so skinny, and it, I I just had a complex about that. Well, it was also the it was it was the time of uh you know, Jordash and Gitano jeans. and Well, I think culturally speaking too, it, and, like that wasn't like for, for women of color, um, there wasn't a, a, a sort of, you know, that's more of a sort of Eurocentric beauty standard of sort of thinness and that right. sort of thing. Right. But um, for women of color, like Latino or, or black or whatever, like that necessarily wasn't, that wasn't the aesthetic, you know, was there was more of an embrace. About... There was more of an embracing of curves and the more curves, the better. Yes. And so, I mean. so, yeah. So I felt, I felt outside of that. And while there are plenty of women who are black, Latino, who are, or Latina, who are, you know, um, thin and they can kind of own that. I was very self, I was very insecure about how I looked. You're like, damn. Why well, I want my booty grow? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm like looking at a girl in my class. I'm like, how did you get those? What? Your t- what those bra- like how how come? I'm like, I I'm not even wearing a trainer bra right now. What's going on? So like, I just had this big complex about being really thin and like looking the way I did it. And so when I went away to school, it was really weird that like that was the shit to be skinny. I didn't under I didn't even like that was cool. And then it wasn't cool. I was like, what's wrong with y'all? You need to eat. Why are you not? This is not cool. Um, but it oddly kind of helped me to kind of accept how I look like because only because I fit into, you know, I felt uncomfortable where I grew up because I felt my body didn't fit into that. Right. But if I did fit into that, I would feel fine. Right. I went to an environment where that did work and now, I, you know, I feel a little bit better about myself, but that was sort of, you know, mm. tenuous or whatever. But um yeah, so I mean, I I I sort of had this sort of like dual thing, dual consciousness going on, where it's like I'm, you know, I'm I'm fitting in on the surface, right? Like if you look on paper, I'm doing honors, all these other things, or whatever. But inside, I'm sort of like I'm feeling like I I don't belong here either. Did you feel like the kids accepted you in boarding school? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it was like my junior year kind of everything clicked because there was like, I don't know. 
two things happened. One sort of just in a general, in a sort of broad sense of like realizing you have to be in this school for two years, right? And my whole complex about not being as smart as those kids because they were rich. Um, it was like realizing like, oh, wait a minute. The dumbest kid in school is the richest kid in school. What the fuck am I worried about? <laughs> like, right. it was, or, I mean, you know, just maybe not literally, but like, like, yeah, some of the dumbest kids in school are also the richest kids in school. And if they're, or I shouldn't say dumb, but the, the less smart, the less smart kids in school, um, least the, the, the least of the academic performance. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, so that doesn't make someone automatically smarter. You just have more access. Oh, oh, and if they fuck up and get kicked out, they can go to another school. Right. But if I get kicked out, I'm going back once I came. Right. And that could be whatever. Um, so it was like that realization. So that kind of helped me get out of that that mind frame of like inferiority. And then um What I were think, the go, No Go ahead. And then the second thing was just that there was a kid who was, I think, about a year or so um, ahead of me, and he was a day student. So he lived off camp, you know, he lived at home and drove like the 20, you know, like, you know, so he was a day student. And um, he was from a wealthy family, and they found out that the father over summer found out that they were going to be bankrupt or lose a significant amount of money. I don't know how much, but it was enough for him to kill the whole family. What? And himself. What? And th- this dude was in your, he was in your, yeah. In your school. Like you knew him. I didn't know him, know him, but he, but it, right. But he was, he, he was a student. I yeah. knew him enough, you know, and just like, and uh, that was like, why would someone do that when they have so much to live for? This is what my, I'm thinking, right? Like, and so much to live for, meaning like, well, you have everything. You have money, you have a nice house, you have you don't have to worry about things. I just didn't I didn't know at the time that like, you know, you can still have problems. <laughs> you can still have mental issues or you can still um you can still feel despair. But it just sort of it made me just realize just like, yeah, just because all these kids um come from wealth, or most of these kids come from wealth, sometimes they're their family life is is really lacking and and lacking in a way that can be almost tragic to just really sad, whether their parents have gone to divorce or they're sort of left to their own devices or they're ignored or whatever. Like my grandmother loved me, yeah, you know, and she had time for me. And while she wasn't perfect, there was things that I look back now, I'm like, wow, you know, like that definitely might've fucked me up. (laughs) But for the most part, she sacrificed so much for me. And always told me, even though she didn't tell, I didn't, she didn't say, I love you. I knew she did because of the things that she did and for me. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I wouldn't be anywhere. And so in that way, I was rich, richer than some of the richest kids in school who had everything. Which is interesting because when you grow up in a poor to lower middle class neighborhood, especially as a kid, you speculate about, and with your friends, it's like an extended conversations of fantasy of like what it's like for people with money and what your life would be like. Like 
that's actually like a way you spend time. Yeah. Playing like pretend of what that would be like. Fantasy. I'm buying like 10 Jordans. Right. And be good. Like, like it's going to take all your troubles away. Right. And it doesn't. I think it definitely, I think. What do you think learning those lessons at that time in a way that like rooted into who you were becoming as a person, what that did for you? Well, it definitely, that lesson in particular, right? Like that, um, like that as much as I hated being poor and I didn't want to be poor and at times I was ashamed of being poor, um, that after taking care of the necessities, like a roof over your head, food, clothes, and, and just money to just sort of live day to day, um, the you know, the necessities of life, right? Mm. Food, shelter, education, whatever. Like after that, we're all the same, right? <laughs> because we're human beings and everyone suffers and, and money's not going to take away it's not going to it's not going to make you happy it makes things easier but um happiness is something else mm. um or peace inner peace is something else and and money cannot buy that at all if only if anything it can oftentimes complicate it right like a motherfucker right more money more problems like um, a motherfucker like a motherfucker it'll complicate your shit <laughs> <laughs> So you crushed it academically. Yeah. Um and I'm sure And I'm bomb atomically. Everybody loved it. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that for like five years. We came up with a really good one earlier. Era Oh Arrowthirst. 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 <laughs> you might be listening, like, what are they talking about? Arrowthirst. It's a condition. When you're both arrogant uh-huh. and thirsty. thirsty and that thirsty for attention. Right. 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 So like if you're if you're like, oh, like, man, he's so he's, he's thirsty and he's arrogant. On and he's an asshole. It's like, yeah, uh, right. He's got that arrow thirst. Arrow thirst. <laughs> Just one sip. Right. Quench <laughs> that arrogant ass thirsty you. Yeah. Arrow thirst. This podcast, What Shapes Us, brought to you right. by Arrow Thirst. Arrow thirst. <laughs> so you crushed it. Everybody at this point, I'm sure, like by junior, senior year, like everybody loved Joy Bryant. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I was, I mean, somehow I remained on student council for all four years. I had no idea what the hell I was talking about or doing or whatever, but somehow people elected me. But it was a popularity contest, I mm. guess. Um, but I wasn't walking around like, you know, it's not, it's different. It wasn't like, I was like, I'm the popular girl. It wasn't that. It's just whatever. But um, that was also a good lesson in politics as well. I mean, a lot of time elections are popularity contests and not necessarily policy. I won... Did I win? No, I lost. Did I win? I lost uh, high school president, president or president of my class by one vote. Ooh, ooh, no, by one vote. By one vote. That sounds sketchy. But here's the thing: I had zero agenda. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was me too. No agenda. I, had I didn't zero care. Agenda. It was fun. My parents. My parents, A, didn't know I was running, and B, if I had won, they wouldn't even let me. They would be like, you not, what? You can't even barely, like... Go to class you, you on time. Not, yeah. 
but like I wasn't. I was like a C plus student, mm-hmm. like at best. Actually, as the years went up, you went down because <laughs> I I was I just became That's not more. How the graph's supposed to go? Two things: one, I was a social butterfly. Two, like oh, I, I was totally social. I butterfly. went to four high schools. Oh, right. Four high schools. Next time you talk to Jesse, our mother, mm-hmm. my mother, because Joy's also like in my family, ask yes. her, be like, Jesse. Solomon went to four high schools and she'll be like, he exaggerates. Like to this day, I have to remind her like, no, mom, we left New York. Right. And then I went to Cumberland High School. Right. In Massachusetts, in Rhode Island. Like, trust me, I know. Attleboro High High School School. in Massachusetts, probably like 10 miles away from Cumberland High School. And then Norton High School, which was like four miles from... Attleboro High School. I didn't realize you spent so much time in New England. I never knew that. That's all in the in the span of like two and a half years. Oh my god, three years. It's a whole nother conversation. The New England end of things. Um, yeah. Especially coming from New York, birth of hip hop. Yeah. Going to school with the Wu Tang Clan. Like, yeah. You know, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and then they. Once again, like we're moving again, you figure like, oh, we're moving just another town over right. again. Carlsbad. No, <laughs> you're like, is Carlsbad? Of, is Carlsbad? A lot of mercy. Is Carlsbad in Massachusetts? Right. No, it's in California. Four high schools. <laughs> so between like having to always readjust socially. Oh my god, I can't and imagine. being the only black kid. Oh my god, I, I there's no way I would have almost been, every high school. Oh my god, like the only black kid. In two high schools, the only black kid. That's why you're so good at like, I mean, your interpersonal skills are so superior and just and you're and that's why I think you probably that maybe that's a trip maybe that's why over the reasons why you're such a great interviewer and just person to person connector like that. Because like you've had to freaking like navigate. Navigate so many different like regions, cities, races, cultures, cultures. Classes, everything, and then like you know, baked in with a very interesting um, cultural backgrounds from within my own family, mm-hmm. Haitian immigrant on my mom's side, um, you know, South African freedom fighter, political exile mm-hmm. on my dad's side. Right. Yeah, and then growing up in like the birth of hip hop and like break dancing and being in a crew mm-hmm. and battles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and name belts and and chains and like you know being in having a crush on a puerto rican girl named vanya torres and give her a shout a, out a jewish girl named, <laughs> jewish girl named chelsea albuquer shout out shout out chelsea albuquer <laughs> um and then like you know a black girl named diane blair hey hey um and going to school with math literally you got to interview him for your he's, podcast. He's going to be on this podcast right for on. sure. Because ours is a crazy, crazy. A, what it was like growing up together. And then B, like the man, the way that we reconnected in this business. Wow. 20 years ago. I came home from work one day, Joy. He wanted like came home from work where, where was I working at the time? I came home from work. I had just started answering the phones. I was a receptionist at Transworld Snowboarding Magazine. And I lived in a house with four guys in Cardiff by the sea. And this, you know, you came home from work and what'd you do? You put on MTV. 
because that was the shit back then. Like, just watch videos and hang out and drink beers and MTV was entertaining. That's where you got your, it was your, it was your one-stop shop for, like, culture. Mm-hmm. And this video comes on with this Wu-Tang clown. I think it was Protect Your Neck video. And I, I'm watching, I'm like, this, this is amazing. And I just, I freaked out. I'm like 22 years old at this point. 21, 22. And I jumped up off the couch and I was like, I know that dude. I know that dude. They're like, that's Method Man. I was like, that's Clifford Smith. <laughs> That's so cool. And I was freaking out. I went home to my parents' house. I looked in the pictures, like found some shit from the Panamanian Day Parade when we were like in third or fourth grade, side by side, (laughs) arm in arm. He's dressed as Trinidad. I'm dressed as Tobago. Oh, no. And put that shit up next to the TV because there was still no internet to Google search that shit. And sure enough. No. That's Clifford Smith. That's adorable. And I, I went and bought like everything Wu Tang and discovered <sighs> like Thirty Six Chambers. Yeah, you imagine like imagine Sarah's that's still how, the great one of the greatest albums of, of all time. time. But imagine like that's how you like the only black kid in your town yeah. discover Wu Tang. Because Wu Tang's for the kids. Wu Tang's for the babies. And what? suddenly, like they had become like it was like all that shit spoke to me. I was like, I know everything yes, they're talking about. Yes. They're speaking my language. I know every street. I know, yes. the, I, I'm just, I, the, you know, the shout you out to the your neck. You best protect your neck. Yeah, like, and like New Brighton and, and all this. I'm like, oh my goodness, poor Amazing. Richmond. Like it just, it was, it was magic. Yeah. You know, it was like literally magic. Music. Um, and it gave me like this weird connection back to this whole mm-hmm. other to a deep part of me that no one who knew me at the time mm-hmm. even knew existed mm-hmm. like they didn't I didn't know how to be that part of me mm-hmm. other than like listening to music you know or dancing or like you know being in a, in 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 places where something like distinctly black was right. either playing or showing and like right. the way I reacted to sports right the way I reacted to how, like, really good food tasted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, and music. Like, those were the things where people were like, oh, that's strange. God, he's really savoring that burger. Like, it's going to be the last thing he eats today. <laughs> he's, is he singing a song about it? It looks like it. Um, you know, like, just those yeah. things. So, it, like, it woke up this this part of me after being in, in SoCal for, like, at that point, then, like, being deeply ingrained for, like, four five years at this point Mm -hmm. in surf culture, being the only person that looks like me in the room now consistently for years. Mm -hmm. Um, It was such a crazy reconnection and like woke me up a bit. Mm -hmm. Got Mm -hmm. my, I standing tall like, Mm -hmm. Oh shit, that's right. Like I might be here, but I'm a black man in this bitch. Like, okay, cool. Right. Yeah. It was, it was a, such a crazy time. And then of course, like to years later connect, we met. We reconnected in Memphis, Tennessee, at the the first. Oh, at Bonnaroo. No, at the first gig I ever got on like real TV, and the MTV Sports and Music Festival in oh. like nineteen ninety nine. Wow. And they they said so we're gonna have you um, do the, the the skateboard contest, and we're gonna have you commentate with 
Red Man and Method Man. <gasps> and I just went, oh my God. What did you? <laughs> I wasn't even on the X Games yet. Right, 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 right. But people had gotten to know, like, me from, I was announcing, like, a lot of events within the skateboarding industry mm-hmm. and, like, at demos and stuff and trade shows. And I had hustled this gig. And yeah, it was insane. So dope. And he came up to me high as hell. <laughs> like eyes were just like slits. <laughs> they introduced me and, and him and Red and, and Red How to me. Like, Yo, you, you, you're gonna be with to with, with this dude Method Man. So dope. And um, the rest was his. They're like, "This is Sal," and I'm like, shook his hand. I'm like, "Yo, it's it's Salema," and he goes, "What?" I'm like, "Yo, it's me, Salema," and he just lost it. He was Aww. like, "What?" <laughs> so dope like big hug like we like looking at each other like hug again looking at each other hug that's again so cool. it was a cra- crazy moment he was like yeah. the biggest thing that's ever happened in my yeah. life yeah and he's the first like yeah show yeah. up yeah and um that's a great sign and he was and he was like this ain't sal this is salema <laughs> these dudes know me from day one he starts telling everybody putting them on like when i was poor and i came to school in the same outfit for three days in a row like this was my g and was like always there for me blah, blah, blah. like i was trying to remember a verse from um his verse from um cat um cream but for some reason, I can't recall. I wonder why. I wonder why that might How be. high, how so high. high I can touch the sky. Up, up to the sky. How'd you get to Yale? Um, I, By the way, you, you, this was a scholarship situation that you had at the- The boarding school. At the boarding yeah. school. Academic scholarship. Yes. So or scholarship. Yeah. yeah. Scholarship. Crushing it. Um, so I took Latin when I was in high school. And which I really enjoyed. Um, we e learned. Pluribus unum. Don't ask me e anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we not only do we learn um, Latin itself, which is the root of you know, all Rome or the Romance the languages, romance you languages, know, yes. French, Spanish. Um, uh we our teacher also taught uh like um roman and greek history we didn't i didn't study greek but we we studied like architecture and and right. um and uh yeah and and the and 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 other in literature right um oh sorry Sorry. What are you doing? You're fucking Sorry. up my segment. What are you doing? You're fucking up my segment. Um, um so anyway, for a class trip, um, he brought the 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 Latin class or oh, the Latin club because I was also in the Latin club. Um <laughs> so You were that girl. So he brought the Latin club down <sighs> she to Yale. She's so cool because she's smart. <laughs> the Latin club. It's Latin club. Um, which I be I think was I the? I think I was the president of Latin Club. My now you're just now you're just Brad. I won the Latin Prize at graduation. Um, I actually thought that at some point I would be like a Latin teacher or some shit. That is so corny, but oh, that's not corny. It's what it is. I was pretty good at it. Anyway, um, we he took us on a field trip down to Yale to visit some of the museums down there, right? Mm. 
And I just remember walking on campus and I mean, I, I'd obviously heard of it before. This is my freshman, sophomore year. Um, sophomore year. Um, and of high school, of high school, of boarding school, of boarding school. And I just remember just being on camp, being really impressed by all the buildings. Right. And just, um, you know, I knew that this was a, you know, a place, um, a prestigious university. And I just liked, I'm like, wow, this is cool. And, and they had a great pizza restaurant. I really liked that. <laughs> There's a great pizza So you're like, spot. the buildings are dope. <laughs> and they got good pizza. The, bu- the buildings are dope. And they have good pizza. Maybe I'll go to college. I here. might want to go to Yale. Um, And I got the... um. You know, like, uh, you know, like the little map of like campus, or whatever. Right. And so I, when we went back to school, I put the map on the back of my door and I was like, okay, I'm going, I mean, that's where I'm going. Right. That's where I'm going. So, um, junior year rolls, rolls around and my grades are like, I'm high on ours that year. That's because that's when everything clicked. Where I'm like, oh, I'm just as smart as anybody else. I can do this. And then I went from uh, from honors to like high honors. And I right. just went like, it went like, it kind of just went to a whole other gear. Right. Right. Um, which is just one of my my finest moments in my life because I, I I kind of impressed myself with a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, my memory skills were pretty sharp my junior year in, in high school. Um, and so from junior to senior, like, you know, grades are fine. All my, you know, all my things, activities, whatever, great. But, um, like, like the SATs, man, I just was not, I just like, you know, I could only. I didn't even take them. Man, I, my, mine were like, I, not great. I mean, I barely broke a thousand, um, but everything else was dope. And they said, you know what? She seems nice. We'll take her at Yale. Yeah. Well, I I got into, I, I actually only really wanted to apply to Brown and Yale because I'm like, well, that's, I'm going to Yale. So I just wanted like, <laughs> and luckily my my college advisor was like, you the can't. Confidence. And I'm, you, I'm you, broke. I, you don't I, have money. Like, you're not I got going no to, money. You're not going to Yale. Like, you're not going to Yale on some like, well, you know, I'm getting in like. Legacy, right? Like Legacy. I had, like, my no, uncle went to Yale. Not at all, man. My grandfather got no. I was like not smart in that, <laughs> but I'm like I'm going. I'm just gonna go to. I'm just gonna apply to Yale and Brown because I'm gonna go to Yale. We're gonna get. I'm gonna get. Let me get in. I got no the, money. They have to. They. Have, I'm gonna need their money to get. In. <laughs> Ain't nobody paying for it. <laughs> but like, still, it's gonna work out. But still, it's gonna work out. Right. And so my college advisor is like, you can't just apply. Not only can you just Okay, not only can you just apply or not apply, just apply to two schools, you can't just apply to two Ivy League schools and you can't oh, do that. Oh, you didn't that. have any backup schools. No, this, this was, <laughs> that was my plan. So I was like, why not? I'm going to get into Yale. And he's like, you can't do that. I'm like, fine. We're so I applied to three more schools. Right. Um, Which I, I don't want to say who they are because I don't want to insult anybody. Just, you don't want to insult anybody listening who used that out there. Su- there's their subpar in your Yale's eyes schools. Yeah, I don't want to, so it doesn't even matter. That's weird. So anyway, 
So, um, so I ended up applying to five schools. Right. Yale and Brown, and then these other three schools, right. which were like, you know, all in New England. And I got into all of them. Right. Right. And um, the three schools that were my, you know, the schools, the safety schools, whatever, like I would got full ride. I mean, like, I mean, stipend. I mean, just like they rolled out the red carpet. I just had to like walk down. I mean, I would have had like, I would have, it was like scholarships. And Yale Brown's like, we're going to give you the Ivy League scholarship equivalent, which is not all the way that but like right you you, you have some money but you're gonna have to work for that shit right you have to you know work you know you loans and the other shit and yeah so i had to decide you had to decide between a full ride to the schools that were not yale but they were still good but they were, were really not, good they were not yale but they were not yale yeah just say what the schools were no it doesn't matter do you really, you think you're... No, no, no. It just doesn't matter. Okay, I get it. I get it. But it, and They're then good, the, though. They're good schools. Yeah. And, like, Yale, which was like, here's some money. Person, all of it. Here's some money. Right. Person who doesn't have money. Right. Um, good luck on getting the rest. Yeah. And also, like, we're not going to hold the door for you very long. No. Like, there's, there's plenty of people that... Right could pay to come here right um and brown kind of did the same thing i mean like they gave i mean compared to what i mean i mean i got the equivalent of you know they tried their best <laughs> like <laughs> it was like you're gonna come here it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna cost you right. really so um i decided that i was gonna go to the place that i wanted to go that I've been talking about going, that I knew I was going to get into, since it's and I'm going to go no matter. I'm going to figure it out. Mm. Um, so I just want to say this. So, um, of course, because I didn't have the highest board scores, you know, some people started. You know, there were some whispers around that I started hearing about from other students, like one one guy who didn't get into Yale, who was in a couple of AP classes, and he had high board scores, and da 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 da, and he didn't get in. And I hear people are like, yo, he kind of like tight that, you know, only reason why you got him because you black. Ooh. Right? Things were going so well. Yeah. And I was like, um, yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't really, probably not, wasn't really competing against him, probably. And like, they might just like me better. I mean, they might like my personality better. I don't know what right. it is. Um, because like, it's not just, it's like, there's, you can have all those things, but there's also an X factor yes. or maybe you don't have everything, but there's this. So, you know, it's not just you have, um, you know, perfect marks across the board and it's an automatic for you. That's an interesting type of. Um, night that naive, ignorant racism. Mm -hmm. That's not like burning something in your yard no but it is it is a type of racism that hits you in a very strange funny place like between the ribs well that was he never said it to my face it got worse because someone who i knew said it to my face because i got this one of the three schools that i got into that i'm not gonna say what they are she didn't get in but i did right right and what was those reasons 
Well, she was very upset with me because she's like, you know, you didn't even want to go to that school. And you got it. I'm like, yeah. So she's like, well, you only got in because you're black. I was like, no, I actually got in because my grades are better than yours. Because mm. I want, but I'm going to Yale. So <laughs> I mean, she got money, so she's good. And right. I, I've, not, hence, yeah. I've seen her. You know, I don't hold a grudge against her. She was young. She said that shit it was whack. But um, I mean, I did have the last laugh. Um, I just had a conversation with someone recently, and we were talking about. Being an ally, this person happens to be white. Mm-hmm. And they're a person who is one of those people who's like generally pretty supportive. Mm-hmm. You know, they post the right things, they come out and defend, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and make statements to their other white friends about things they should be aware of, mm-hmm. et cetera, socially, um, and just in general when it comes to bigotry, misogynism, all that stuff. She was talking about a job. Um that she didn't get? No, she didn't. Let me finish. No, she did. She was talking about a job that she didn't get. And she said, you know, and there was a person who didn't definitely have the resume that I did, you know, and didn't have um, the, the background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I went to a better school, et cetera, and they were black and mm. they got the job. And I figured, well, you know, they probably were in a situation where they thought it would be better to hire a black person um, for the job. And, you know, I understood that maybe I had to that I had to give up that spot for her. And I was like, oh, she had to take that L. huh? Yeah. Like and she basically was like, so I did my I've done my part like because I didn't get this job from this that this person because I got, deserved it. I was better qualified was for the job, is what she said to me. Yeah. And I said, "Listen, so were you in her interview?" Mm-hmm. She said, "No." I said, "Well, do you or were you aware of the interactions that she had with them? The things that she sort of ha- her her personality care." characteristics Mm -hmm. um you know what she was adept at Mm -hmm. the things she was interested her knowledge of this Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. outside of your school paper and her school paper right um any of those things that might have happened in that room along with her resume that made them look at each other and go like wow Right. We don't have any choice but to hire this person. Right. She's going to kill it for us. Right. Because they cal- they got to calibrate and they see what. Yeah. So it's not just about. Because like, like they ain't out here giving away chances to no. check. There's no kickback money for hiring no. the right Negroes. And it's OK when people when other when when you get some shit that you're not qualified for because of your, you know, so it's like. There's I'm, just a, there, there's a sense of an, you know, it's encountering that, that sense of entitlement. And it's easy for people to want to, you know, um, you know, oh, well, you just got in because you're black or you just going to that just totally dismiss yeah. dismissive of like all my other qualities outside of that. And I but, said to her, I said, OK, I you said, know what? Fuck it. Um, what is it? Retribution, motherfucker. Fuck you. <laughs> I said to her, I said, yeah, I said to her, I said, listen, like, come if, on. I said, if by your logic, I shouldn't have any of the jobs hmm. that I've had. Right. I said, I didn't go to college. Right. 
I, you know, in, at, at all. I barely graduated high school. And you can't tell me that I'm not qualified. And I was a sportscaster on ESPN for 13 years, and I wasn't a retired professional athlete. Right. I said, do you know how many jobs that I have had or even right. the jobs I have right now that I am not qualified for? Right. Did I, like, take someone's spot? Right. And her that, eyes got really mm-hmm. big. And fortunately, it was a teachable moment for yeah. her. And I watched the way it hit her, the right. weight of it. Like, I said, so you, when you say something like that, right. and if you have that conversation with your friends to mm-hmm. be like, well, you know, I feel better about it because, you know, that she probably needed the job more than I did because she's black. I'm like, you're just as twisted. Right. And you're perpetuating this thing where now it's like, it's some sort of sacrifice if you see someone right. in a position that by default, like part of the DNA, part of the unseen part of privilege makes you think, well, like I'm, I'm supposed to get. Right. And what if the, the other candidate was white? Right. Well, then, OK, then you lost out to someone who you felt was not as qualified for you as you, but it wasn't because. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like. You know, those were a couple of moments. Um, that's when, I mean, not that there wasn't, you know, moments throughout my time at that school. I mean, because I, I, I mean, I did really like being there. So it wasn't, I, I didn't have a miserable time when mm. I was there. Um, but there were definitely things that reminded me, you know, I never forgot <laughs> the color of my skin. How could you, how could you when there's like 9% minority in this? But like those are a couple of instances that yeah, it's like getting in the college when when some true colors started to come out. I was like, oh, or when we, um, I was on the newspaper staff. I was assistant editor of the newspaper my junior year or my senior year, one of the two, and um, and my junior year, I was one of the um, founders of uh, the minority students union because we had a lot of. I mean, even though, again, 9% minority with how many black kids was that? I don't forgot how many of us, but um, we were the majority of the minority. Mm. Um, and there were some students who, um, they don't they don't say you get kicked out. You don't get asked back. Ah. Right? And remember I was saying that we all had to walk, those of us on scholarship, those of us who were black on scholarship, you know, you, you walk this, um, this tightrope because- you have no margin for error. And it's such a lesson about just being black and navigating this world in whatever profession you you um, you um, end up in or the president of the United States. You know, this, this tightrope, you have no margin of error. Um, we don't get the luxury of failing. We get one chance a lot of times. Yeah. Um, or we don't get as many chances. Um, and when we fail and we fuck up, it speaks for everybody, you know, somebody white fuck up, it's them. Right. Um, but in the context of, of the school that I went to, you fuck up, they saying you're, you, you're on scholarship, you're going home. Right. They fuck up, they can go to Andover, Exeter. Just and like six other schools. That yeah. And, and the thing is, is that like, while... You know, I told you about my inner struggle, but at the same time, my inner struggle didn't, um, didn't, jeop- I, like, I was still able to thrive there. So I was okay. Um, 
But it was a fucking culture shock. And not only that, you don't know, some people, kids, they go home, you know, life is hard in certain segments of the population. And so to kind of have a foot in one world and a foot in the other, even for somebody who was, even for someone like me that was like adjusted enough is a psychological balance exercise that when you're 13, 14 years old, it's very difficult to um, not fuck up, to stay on point and to walk, this very, 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 very fine line and um, represent. But there's this pressure to perform and be and, and um, you say, um, not adapt. Well, it's adapt, but also kind of like conform or exist that for some kids, understandably so, it was too much. Right, And so we started this organization to be a support group because we needed each other. We was the only one here and there were no teachers of color. Maybe, you know, there, you know, it wasn't really, you know, um, we had to, we, we tried to, you know, we formed this organization so that like, you know, if you, if you're, if you, if you're having troubles with, with your studies or you're feeling homesick or you're feeling fucked up or you're having problems, like come, like let's all talk over here, right. us, so that we can figure this out and give you the support that, give each other the support that we need to survive this shit. Right. Because um, people aren't a, underestimate a, yeah. the, the psychological, um, the weight that we carried. You have this scholarship. You're with these people who come from another planet of life. Mm-hmm. Um, the stakes for you to stakes the stakes the stakes the stakes for you associated with achieving and being able to move forward yeah. will make a difference in your the entire like direction of your lineage yeah. moving forward. Yeah, right. This will change your story. Yeah. That's how you're looking at success in this space, yep. competing against people who have it all and, and have, have been sitting at, they're not in the front of the line, they're already in the room. Right. You had to wait in a line to get into the room. Right. And when you get into that room, no one looks at you and no no look, no one looks like you or comes from what you come from to the point that you made earlier, which is usually there are some circumstances at home that even though you're not there, Way are weighing you down. Yes. And when you're calling home, mm-hmm. you're having to deal with what might be going on with yeah. a parent who is there or not there, mm-hmm. the family dynamics, your grand, like also everyone on earth, like rooting for you, mm-hmm. but also some of them being like, who does she think she is? Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you got to like process all that stuff at and 13, then perform. I was 13 years 13 old. At 13 years old. Yeah. It was, I mean, when I look back on it now, I mean, you know, over the years, I mean, I've talked about, you know, my journey, my, you know, and from the Bronx to boarding school and that that whole dynamic and stuff. But it's only been recently in the past few years where I'm like, you know, as I'm like, I go to therapy and I'm, you know, probing certain things. And I'm like, holy shit, that was a lot of freaking, I, I mean, I don't think I really, it was not until recently where I'm like realizing how much pressure I was under, we were under, and 
I'm surprised at myself and others that we actually made it through as best we did. Because when I think like the, um, the, the type of pressure and the constant pressure, like, I mean, I don't know if I have to deal with that right now. I'd be like, fuck, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was heavy. It was, it was really, really heavy and it's heavier than I even could have, have acknowledged in the past. And now I'm like, holy shit, that was a lot. Um, so yeah, the stakes were very high and we needed to support each other. And, you know, so if that meant, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll, we're all sitting together at lunch or whatever. And so, um, like there was some talk around school that some of the kids thought that we were being separatists, <laughs> which is hilarious. First you were like, you don't even know what that word means. You know what the fuck that word means. You complained to your parents and they told you, well, that sounds right. separatist. Yeah. Thanks dad. I'll right. take that right back and throw it in their faces. Right. But what about the hockey players who sit together? Mm. What about the soccer players who sit together or the, or the mean girls, or this, whatever. We're being separatist? Okay, so I you only, wrote... You're only friends with her because she's black. Right. So I wrote... Well, yes. It, yeah. <laughs> for for specific reasons. Right. So I wrote um, an editorial for the newspaper. And just what kind of... What year was this? This was um, maybe like 90 or 91 or something like that. Um, and uh, actually, um, Nuka, my friend Nuka, she still has that article somewhere because she kept it for like years and years and years she's like i'm just that was just the coolest thing ever and i just basically break down why that's not true why we're not a separatist like what makes it and i just kind of and i mean i mean i kind of had to like kind of just break it down to everybody in language that everyone could understand just like the importance of us being there for one another and why and why that's something that yeah you know you don't understand but here's why you know Open your mind for a second. Listen. How here's was it received? Here's what's going on. It was well received. I think it definitely, I mean, I think like there were some students who um, were like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. Mm. Um, and even some of the teachers were like, oh, right. You know, not that they would never say out loud that we were being, you know, but. Um, I'm going to put a plus it, on that A. Right. <laughs> <laughs> put some spec on that, <laughs> on yeah. that A, on that paper, yeah. Um, so. But it, I don't know how many minds it changed, but it was something that made an impact in the school. And I mean, yeah, I had to kind of like, here's why we are, but still, um, but you know, I, I, I was on the newspaper staff, so I was like, I'm writing this editorial. I'm going to take full advantage of this space. Um, so yeah, I mean, um. Um, it was a great experience for me and, and then getting into Yale and, and, and ended up there, I'd worked my ass off. Um, high school was very hard, like academically, mm. very hard. Um, and, um, my friends Nuka, yeah, they kind of make fun of me cause they're like, yeah, you were definitely, that was my, my whole, my whole Emma was like, I'm going to like, I'm going to get into Yale I'm going to make lots of money. Oh, no, I'm going to get into Yale. I'm going to major in, I don't know, economics because I'm going to work on Wall Street or corporate America or something, even though, I mean, I hate math. I hate whatever. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to graduate, make lots of money, and I'm going to take my nan out the ghetto, and I'm going to live happily ever after. Like, that was my that was my game plan, right? Mm. So I got into Yale, right? right? 
Check. Um, check. Um, so I, you know, I went to this 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 program called Lead, which was like a sort of um, mentoring summer program for um, for for minority students, um, like for the sort of like for like the corporate world, you know. Mm. So I'm like, okay, well, I did that, so I'll just major in like economics or something. And, <laughs> but like, I was flunking calculus, so I couldn't plan, you know. And it's just like it right. was, it wasn't. That was sort of me not um, majoring something that was interesting. I, I didn't even know about anthropology right. or anything like that. You just like basically picked some shit that was like, this will get. It means to an end. This is a means to the end. Get a good job. Get, make good money. Get the family yeah. out of the neighborhood. Yeah. And I've That's succeeded. It. Like I'll do what, yeah, fine. And whatever else comes Right. It was that. a means to an end. I didn't know about anthropology. I didn't know. I mean, I was so, I mean, you realize when you get to college, I'm like, wow. I mean, yeah, I, I was like smart and hot shit in high school. And I get to college, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> like, so, but had I gone for something that I really wanted, like I would have been a classics major. Because mm. I enjoyed studying Latin and I wanted to study Greek and I wanted to study antiquity. And, you know, it would have been cool if I was a Latin teacher. Right. When I was flunking calculus and it's like, okay, I'm not going to be an economics major. I'll be a classics major. I remember someone being like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like. You mean they don't give me money for that? <laughs> right. Right. Because I'm not. That's when I'm realizing, oh, I don't. I can't just flow. Right. So you, college for you. You didn't have the. Op, you didn't walk into it with the idea of like. I'm going to explore and no. figure out what I want. You know, a couple of years, I'll no. figure out what it is. No. And, you know, this is such an exciting time to, like, just learn. And then I'll figure out what no. I want. That no. was not no. an option. I didn't. I did not give myself that option. Right. Based um, on the circumstances. Based on the circumstances. Also, like, I was writing in high school. Like I said, I was on the newspaper staff. Like, I... My favorite things was writing my, pa- you know, writing papers mm. sometimes for other people. I don't know, but I don't know, I don't know how I got this envelope in my wallet. <laughs> Crazy. They put money in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, but when I got to Yale, like any type, like that was like the last thing that I, I mean, like I lost any kind of creative impulse or anything. It was just about like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you know, and, mm. but so I was Funkin' Cal, you know, well, actually, before I started Funkin' Cal, it all kind of happened. My grandmother died my freshman year at Yale. Okay? So that other piece of that puzzle that I had, that I had, um, or that, you know, the other piece of that house I was forming, whatever, got taken away. Because I got in Yale, but I wanted, da, 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 I'm going to get rich, da, 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 I'm going to take Nana out the ghetto. Boom, Nana dies. And now sort of your reason... For being there, I I don't have a reason anymore. For being, right. So, of course, I'm flunking calculus. I don't even need. Why am I an economics major? Oh, what are you going to do with cal- classics? I don't know. I'm, what am I even doing here? I'll figure it out. I don't know. And I just went into this sort of downward spiral. Like I I didn't even care anymore. For context, and you go into it as as, mm-hmm. as little or as much as you want. Where were your biological? Mother and father. Um, I didn't know exactly where my biological father was. Um, my biological biological mother and I did not have a great relationship. In fact, as soon as I graduated from high school, I stopped talking to her, pretty much. Um, and that kind of went on again, off again. 
for years throughout my adulthood. So we didn't have a, a, gr- a great relationship at all. So when my grandmother died, it was pretty much me. I mean, I had uncles and cousins and that sort of thing. But as far as your, like, but I felt your immediate support structure. It was gone. Was gone. And while there were people in my, in my family who were trying to be there for me, I felt incredibly alone. And I had friends. I had, you know, I had a life. You're a kid. But I still felt just, I mean, I'm like 18, 19 years old, and I just felt like completely alone. And as I'm like, I have a scholarship, but then I'm also doing work study and I'm doing, you know, um, shit to kind of, you know, live or whatever. Um, And, you know. Like to eat. Yeah. And so, you know, I was much more in, at that point, I was much more interested in like drinking and hanging out and partying than fucking like caring about school. Really. Right. Because I really just didn't want to be there anymore. You were exhausted. And I was exhausted. I was burnt out. Like I had busted my fucking ass to get in there. Now, mind you, yeah, I was, yeah, some things in high school came natural easier to me, but still there was a pressure of performance because I, you know, we talked about those other factors and also just academically, the school was Shit very, was already hard. She was already hard. It was already <laughs> hard. It was so hard. Um, in ways it was just, it was harder than Yale, even though like there's things classes at Yale. I'm like, what the fuck is a fractal? Um, <laughs> but like, sir, don't you mean frac- fraction? I'm like, no, what is a fractal? I said fractal. Don't question me again. D. I'm like, I don't, I, what is this class? What is freaking calculus? I can't understand it. But um, I was burnt. So I was already on the edge. Mm. And then my grandmother dying just sent me over. And so I wanted to leave. I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. I didn't know. I didn't know why I was even there. And I didn't have a purpose anymore, I felt like. To be in there, I, I wasn't suicidal. I'm not saying like I didn't have a purpose to live. I'm saying like I didn't have a purpose of being at Yale for me anymore. Um, because if Nana's dead, then what the fuck am I here for? Mm. Right? And you know, I I got really lucky where um like a friend of mine from Yale had taken me into the city because people had told me, oh, you should model, you should model, whatever. And I mean, I I love to hear that because like growing up I just wanted people to think that I was pretty and cute because I never felt that way before mm. so to hear people kind of tell me that I should be a model that meant that like, I'm hot right? you know what I'm saying right? like, I'm hot I'm fucking hot I, all right, y'all say I'm hot <laughs> if y'all say oh. I'm hot then I guess I'm hot okay you know what I'm saying but like it was validating to me and but my friend from school um, took me to a party in the city in, in New York and that's where I met an agent from Next Models and this was like my next, sophomore year. Next models. <laughs> and that was um that was like spring of my sophomore year, which ninety nine this is ninety Oh wait, I would have been class of ninety six, so this is ninety four. Right. Right. And I wanted to leave Yale, but I didn't have a backup plan. Right. I didn't have a job. I mean, what was I going to do? I can't, right. I can't just leave and just do. These also people are giving you like giving you money at least to have a roof. Over right. your head. Right. And right. I'm on the scholarship thing. Yeah. So, um, like, he was just like, no, you can do this. And I'm like, yeah. 
And I basically, I, I, I went to the city to meet him one time. We took some Polaroids. He sent it to, no, he sent, me, sent it to his friend who's a photographer to take some Polaroids. I came back. The friend was doing a shoot for 17 Magazine, the back to school issue. He took my Polaroid. Oh, she's at Yale. Um, and they're like, great. I got booked for the like back to school issue for 17 Magazine, um, like for the fall of 1994. And um, when I found that out, I'm like, great. I took my exams and I was like, I'm out. Right. And I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll give it a year. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, I'll come back. Um, which was completely unrealistic because to say to give yourself a year to make it in modeling is the same way as saying like I'm going to give it a year to work to be like a working actor. Right. In Hollywood, like I'm doing shit. Right. So like I was completely moving in LA for 1 year. And if that shit doesn't work, if I don't get the biggest, if I don't get the dopest agent and end up on a, like a really great show, I'm going to give it up. I'm out of here. So it was completely unrealistic. I, and I'm, I got, I was lucky. <laughs> um, but so many people were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't, you can't leave Yale. You can't drop out of Yale to be a model. This is Yale. And I don't have family money like that. So what am I doing? What yeah. am I doing? Right. Even people in my family were like, what are you doing? <laughs> They're giving you money to achieve something that none of us have like yeah. even gotten to think about. And you're going to go. And that's what you wanted, right? You worked, gonna, your, you worked right. your ass off to get there. And, that, and I just remember thinking like, look, I got nothing to lose, everything to gain. I can always come back and figure it out. But I don't want to be old and say I woulda coulda shoulda shoulda coulda woulda whatever and you know what I was keeping the seat warm and that's a very expensive seat to keep warm and there's someone out there that would be so happy to be here and will make the most of it Mm -hmm. and will know what to do or figure it out but they deserve that chance and I don't I don't I don't want it anymore and I'm not happy. Right. And I don't know what's going to make me happy. But again, I'm going to try this thing out. I don't even know what this is. And if it doesn't work out, I'll come back next year. I'll figure it out. I'll get my shit together. I'll make a plan. But I'm going to go I'm going to go over here. You chose to be happily uncomfortable. Yeah. Um because you've set a, a course, yeah. Then to be safe with no direction, yeah. That's because we actually that didn't seem safe to me though. Right, but I'm, I'm talking about on paper. Yeah. Right, like yeah. that space, those confines, yeah. the basics, the fact that you're in this prestigious institution. Um, you're yeah. cared for there. There is opportunity. Maybe you have to like figure out some new yeah. things, but like there was easily the argument for you staying. Yeah. Was oh, yeah, far no, more for, far was like safer and more logical and people would have cheered you. Me leaving me dropping out to model did not make any fucking sense. I'm saying that right now. I'm like that was completely crazy. But it was a risk and 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 it was a, a risk that I felt that I needed to take. And also because like I mean look, if I'm pretty much on my own and I'm and I'm like, yes, I have some financial aid and some scholarship, but I'm also doing work study and loans. So I'm paying my way through. I'm not paying. No one else is doing that. I mean, the school's giving money, but like 
no, I don't, no one's taking care of me. Mm. I'm taking care of me. So then if I can do that, then right. I can make the decision for me. And maybe it's not the best decision. I don't know. Who knows what that is? But I just felt like my grandma always said, you pay the cost to be the boss. Well, you know what? I'm paying the cost to be the boss. I'm going to be the boss of me. And me is tired of being fucking poor. Me is tired of like not knowing what the hell I want to do. Me is, I'm tired of being like, I'm just tired of being here, man. Right. And, and I don't need to be here, dude. I don't need to ride this um, exercise bike at level 10. No, like, I, don't, I can't, all, I can't, I, I can't, you know all, what? I can't do it. Right. And so I, I realized that I was sort of like how I was navigating um, through all of that was like, like I was, like I had a safety net like my other friends, but I didn't have a safety net, but that's how I rolled. And my safety net wasn't necessarily like family wealth. It was belief. I mean, that's all I had. And I don't know what modeling was really and how, comp- I didn't know going into it how competitive it was. I mean, when I look back on it now, cause like I can kind of reflect on all these things and like I've, my entire life has been high stakes. My entire life has been existing, surviving, and hopefully, luckily, thankfully thriving in, in, in areas that, like the 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 like with, with with hardly any margin for error, and when actually like the percentage of people who actually can thrive in those environments is very small. I mean, well, one, I'm I'm a kid born to a teenage mom in the Bronx. What? I'm not even supposed to be here right now. Boom! I get a scholarship to a freaking boarding school. I'm not supposed to be there either. Then I get into Yale. I was not supposed to be there. I get into a modeling is industry, which is just as competitive as Yale and all these. You got signed to like basically like the Yale Agency of Models. Okay, next. and then I and then I I, I I I I thrive enough in that, and then I get into Hollywood. I'm not I'm not I'm not bragging about things, but it's sort of like I've actually existed in all of these. So it's like the rejection and all the the ups and downs of Hollywood. I'm like, dude, do you know where I come from? Like I know like, this. I know this, and I'm not saying that like everything's going, but I'm just like. Like if I didn't have belief in myself, I would not be anywhere. I mean, in addition to other people believing in me, of course. But if you can't believe in yourself, ain't nobody like what happens when no one believes in what what happens when no one believes in you? Because there's going to be that time, no matter who you are, when no one believes in your dream. So what do you do? Do you give it up? Do you stop? Do you do you take another dream? Do you do you what do you do? You keep dreaming because fuck them. <laughs> you got to believe in yourself because sometimes all you have. And so, yeah, I left and I never looked back. And luckily for me, because it's not because I did anything special. It's not because I'm special. I got lucky. That's it. Um, luckily, I never went back to Yale. Right. You know? Now look. Now look. I'm on your couch. We're in Glendale. <laughs> the wind is blowing. Dog is snoring. Dog is snoring. The coyotes are probably the coyotes wild. are wilding out. They're probably looking from the outside. Oh, we're gonna get you one day, Bubba. What y'all doing? This has been really amazing. Um, thank you for. Am I your first guest? 
You're, I'm one of the first. You're one of the first guests, yes. Um, well, um, I always love talking to you. <laughs> we don't often get to talk in person. Right, we do so much. We're like, we're phoners. Yeah. Um, and the, t- the times we do spend together are, are magic always and memorable. We make them such. Take advantage know, of them. You did have my first beef stew today. I did. You killed that Thank shit. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So proud of Thank you. you. Domestic, Thank you. Domestic joy is not to be trifled. Listen, I be fronting, but I, you know, I, I get that a little bit. But no joke. Um, no, this is like, I mean, it's always great talking to you, but to also like to be on your, your new podcast. Um, it's an honor. Well, it's an honor. And I'm so proud of you. Thanks for saying yes. I said yes before you even asked me what it was. <laughs> Tell me what it was. I'm like, hey, what are you? Yes. Wait, what are we doing? It's a podcast. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, but like, listen. Every, okay, fine. These days, everyone and their mothers got one, right? I know. I'm My friend and I are, yeah, at some point. And I had to like, I had to like, I fought for with myself. Being like, you're not too late with to the party or like no. you can create something that um, people will enjoy and create a community. More importantly, like create a community where that hopefully create a discuss- discussions and, and, and build a community where people are able to feel like they're able to share stories and exchange with each other yeah. because they're fans of this show and that they can distill things from stories like yours Um that they can be they're like oh i know what that is right at that i know what that is you you know what i mean like right. um that's to me is is that that's the goal right that's i, I want to build community ar- around that about around our the commonalities that we have right in our it's, various struggles and in our various struggles and triumphs and and no matter and, what like what camp or team um you've been told by birthright or indoctrination that you're supposed to be on that make you think that you don't have shit in common with this person or mm-hmm. that person i would like this to be a a a, a forum for that that just takes that and and, and shits on that idea right on well that reminds me of one more thing that my grandmother used to, used to always tell me um that i'm really um trying to reclaim and, and, and embrace again in a different way um nothing beats a failure but a try bang okay grandma right Nothing beats a failure. But a try. But a try. That's some like life poker shit. Right. Right. Life poker shit. <laughs> life poker what shit. What you got? Hashtag oh, life poker hashtag shit. Hashtag life poker shit. We just, we're hashtag. building the game right now. <laughs> what you up to? Oh, you know, just to start up. Joy and I doing called life, life poker. poker. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a really good life poker. Life. Po- oh, that sounds like some life poker right there. That's some life. Poker. How many cards in that hand? <laughs> life poker type shit. Some life poker shit. For oh sure. my god. What are you holding? Ah, uh, 
sitting on this failure right here. Ah, you should draw another card. Why? Just draw another card. Would you hold now? Oh, I think I got to I got to try. Woo-hoo! Shit just changed. You had to put your live hand. poker. Live poker. That funky poker. Mm-mm-mm. Live poker, poker. That funky poker. I love you, Joy Brown. I love you too. So I'm a Tequila Alakazam. Cinderella. <laughs> Cinderella Alakazam. We're going to do this again. Yes. I'm going to be a lot better at it then. Um, And we're going to have just as much fun. But thank you. Thank You're you for welcome. Your, your thank time you for having me. And your space. Yeah. And, and the accrochement. Yeah, that's a wrap. Did you love it? I hope you did. Um, thank you. Thank you for uh, hanging out on the couch. That that was that conversation was literally on the couch at Joy's house. We had a blast that night. I think the original recording of it is something insane. Like we sat for like three hours, but as you can tell. We we both like to talk and we enjoy each other's company uh, immensely. I hope that you uh, picked up some keys. She was definitely handing out some life game. And um, I think it's one of those conversations that you just reminded, like, there is no box. There's only who you are and what you have to give. And no one, no one. No one can contain that or take it away from you. Don't you forget it. Thank you for listening again to this episode of the What Shapes Us podcast. Hit us up on the Instagram at What Shapes Us podcast at What Shapes Us. Um, and hit me up. Follow me. Salema at S-E-L-E-M-A. And it's nice to be back. Thanks for your patience. I promise not to leave y'all alone again. Yeah. Now we're going to do this thing for real. It takes a village to bring you the What Shapes Us podcast. Our incredible graphic design team at Parsons Branding, music by the one and only Hugh Masakella and my band Alakazam. It is edited by Ernesto Hurtado and Will Broughton. Produced by yours truly, Salema Mabena Masakella, and directed by Ernesto Hurtado, aka Machete, and myself, Salema Masakella. The What Shapes Us podcast is a rebel talk. Network production. Stick to the pace, you're a rat in the race. That's all you can give, but ain't all that it takes. Put your money on the wall, but it won't buy taste. Surprise to catch shine when you stop to embrace. Breathe, don't wanna watch you go under. Fly, don't wanna see you burn. Please, they're gonna take your thunder. Why you wanna miss your turn? Only favors the bone. Sweat, no money, no motion. Play.
industries of coffee and gold. 